I'll tell you what gets me up every morning. Most small business people are successful for most of their lives. If they're self-employed, they're fairly ambitious. The sad part about it is I can't count the number of people that I've seen that wind up 65 or 70 years old and they've had a, a great career their entire career and they take one big hit and they're done and they're broke and they're 65 or 70 and they have no way to recover. So with these small business people, my goal is for them to build wealth outside that business. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with their work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. With an aim to make the most money who could, Johnny Washington from McKinney, Texas, acknowledges that he used to take way too many risks. Amped on the rush to action tendencies of the idea-oriented personality, he thought he could do just about anything he imagined. He produced many significant breakdowns and is still stuck with some choices he says, I still don't see a clear way out of. Armed with transactional competence, he's now thinking accurately about his choices and how they will affect his conditions of life. He's also compressed his sales cycle from an arduous set of meetings lasting hours and weeks into a simplified sales process that takes only minutes. What does life look like now, he says? A lot less hectic and much more money. This episode's Guru Talk is an excerpt from a webinar titled Accurate Thinking, where co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and I address how to construct and build transactions and why we must think accurately about some of the most essential conditions of life. Here's the interview. The first introduce yourself, say your name, where you live, and what you do. My name's Johnny Washington. I live in McKinney, Texas, just north of Dallas, about 25 miles. I help people with complex tax problems and finance problems, asset protection problems, and I have a small business accounting practice. Very good. We know that people listen to these podcasts because sometimes they can get some takeaways. And there are some case studies or lessons that people get in listening to this. And so we want to take a look at what you've learned here. From your notes, you'd said in the early days you took too many risks. And in fact, there was many breakdowns that happened because of some of the risks that you've taken. And now here you are and life is a lot less hectic and you make a lot more money. How was life before you started working with Influence Ecology? I sort of had this attitude, especially in the earlier years, that I could just about do anything I wanted to. Before I started Influence Ecology, I mean, a nanosecond, 
before I started Influence Ecology, if I thought that I saw some value in the marketplace, I might just go right to work on that project. Mm. It may be a thought that happened in one second, but it might be a 10-year project to pull it off. Yeah. So there were many of those. Did you feel like you had the confidence to do those or you just sort of leapt from good idea to action? Did you feel like you ought to be able to do all those? Was it confidence or hubris or naivete or all of the above? All of the above. I would say definitely naivete. You know, I'm in a project now that's that's 14 years old that I wish I was out of. Hmm. I don't think that I'll ever make that mistake again since I've come to Influence Ecology. What happened and what did you learn that had you be a little bit more careful? Well, I'm a true hybrid. I land between the inventor-performer. And I heard people talking about inventors. Inventors tend to talk more than anybody. (laughs) And I got called on that immediately, that, you know, all the details of my life are not all that important to everybody out there. But there was one thing that hit me is going, if I see something that is valuable in the marketplace, rather than do any study, rather than think about all of the things that need to get done to to pull it off, I just go straight from invention to production. Hmm. Just go right straight for it. How much money we need to put together now? What do I need to do? And I'll grab a few people to try to drag along with me on the projects. Yep. And there I'd go. And it made a big impact on me just to hear that and to realize that to just stop and look at the transaction cycle and, and really follow it. You know, I shouldn't be in production if I haven't made a deal yet. (laughs) Yeah. Just basic stuff. You sound like a lot of people in some ways. You know, we tend to hear about a good idea. We tend to see something going on out in the marketplace and think, well, I ought to do that, or maybe I should take advantage of that, and then we rush into action. There's a little bit of this that sounds like when we held the mirror up to your transactional behavior, perhaps you didn't know that you were rushing to action? Was it because we held up the mirror? Was it a little bit more of that? Or was it somewhere in the study of the transaction cycle itself you started to go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm missing these steps? You held up a mirror out of the gate, but then it started to show up in the transaction cycle too. If I could, I'll share something that I really got from the transaction cycle. Please. And I wasn't even planning to get it. With onboarding clients, new clients, I've onboarded one in 15 minutes, where typically that's the record so far. Uh And I talked to that man for an extra 15 minutes just because I felt guilty that we had onboarded him that fast. Hmm. Like I needed something else to talk about. But in reality, the, the way it used to go to onboard a new client, they'd come in, meet with me. I'd decide what they need to do. That'd take about an hour and a half or two. Then the next two or three weeks would go by and we'd be working on a statement of work. And then five, six man hours have gone by producing that. Two, three weeks later, we close the deal. Now, we close the deal before they leave my office. The statement of work signed. The money's collected. There's some production of work that's already happened by the time they leave. That's fantastic. And I didn't plan to do it that way. I didn't plan that change. Partially, 
it had to do with learning where people fit in the transaction cycle from their personality. Uh-huh. I moved around personalities and I found a person that could come in and close the deal with me and produce the paperwork for me for the statement of work right then and there. I had a judge in that position before. Well, she never had time to do it right now. <laughs> so when I took the judge out of that position and put a performer there immediately, it just worked because anything I'd say, she'd say yes. Hmm. Where the judge would say, well, I don't have time to do that right now like that. That's fantastic. So you took your entire, you call it your onboarding process, but from the time somebody meets with you to the time that they sign the deal, you took that from several hours and several meetings to a, a very short little span of time. So you sped that transaction up significantly. It's 15 minutes to two hours now, and it's complete right then. And then doing that, did you also find that you closed more clients because you got more effective at that piece? Or uh, did you just have a whole bunch of free time on your hands? Well, it's a small business practice. I like the size of it. Never intended to grow it fast, but we've added about a third more clients than we had prior to me starting Influence Ecology. It's all referral. I haven't advertised in years. We added about 20 in the last quarter. That's really great. Well, I don't know if you know, but I think I think <laughs> if anybody listening was looking for a business that was all referral that increased by 30% in the last year, and then you also got yourself a lot less work and a lot less hectic, you, get, you close the business quicker, you remove certain obstacles, that sounds like a real nice deal. It is. That's fantastic. My intention is always just to grow a, a little bit. I like the size of the practice the way it is now, but I also know that I need to grow it a little bit. Sure. Or you're going backwards. It almost occurs with the thing that I've done for 25 years that I can add as many as I want or slow it down if I want to. It's nice. Very, very good. And you help people with some pretty complex tax and finance and asset protection strategies. Is that right? Oh, yes. You and I don't know each other personally that well yet, but I know Kirkland does. And he's said a great deal about your genius in all of that. Um, can you say a little bit about your unique skill set there? I can just give a few examples of things that just show up. There are times that I just can see things that other professionals haven't seen or didn't think of. I saw a contract, read it in about 15 minutes, and saw a flaw in the way it was written, and it saved the client $600,000 in tax. Wow. Just something in the contract that should be written different. So I said, no, 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 you don't close this deal. Give me the opposing attorney's name and number, and I'll call him, and I'll show him. and Everybody's going to agree, I promise you. Call him, talk to him, and they made the changes, and, and we were done. That's one. I've had people with major tax problems. The things you hear on TV in terms of advertisement reduce tax liabilities from half a million dollars to 1200 Yep. At times, I've seen where people were about to file bankruptcy. One of my best cases ever was a guy... Rather than filing bankruptcy, we went a different direction, a workout direction. Mm -hmm. And it literally saved him around a half a million dollars. 
which meant that he didn't have to sell his house and go through bankruptcy. He wouldn't have been able to pay the mortgage in the bankruptcy. They'd have taken all the cash, and he wound up with about a half a million dollars in cash until he could find another job or whatever else he wanted to do going forward. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. It's impressive in ways that, as Ed Kirkland has relayed to me sometimes, some of what you do or have done or can do, it's impressive. Is there a particular kind of client that is a best client for you? And I'm thinking about the people listening, and some of them might go, hey, I should give Johnny a call. Anybody that's your perfect kind of client? First off, they're small business. That's my client. Yeah. Small business people. The project that I'm working on, I'm not sure whether this is my primary transaction or not, is to target 300000 in income to $1.5 million or so. Mm-hmm. Net worth of $10 million to $200 million in that range. That's what I'm working on in mechanics and practice. But that's not really my primary transaction. It's something that would bring more of those deals that I just shared with you just a few minutes ago. Going out and finding them at will, not just having them show up at my office. All right. Well, let me ask you uh, kind of a different question. You've been around um, here studying with us since, what, three years, four years, something like that. What has you stick around? What has you participating here and uh, joining us at conferences and the like? I just see the value. It's a co-constitutive reciprocal relationship. Yeah. That particular client, those examples that I gave you, those will typically pay me somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand in the first year, and then they become clients forever after. Yeah. And and they may not pay me near that much after, but in that first year that I help them get out of a of a mess, and they become extremely loyal when they've been in a, in a big mess and I've created enough cash flow to pay my fee. But what I'd like to do is know how to find them rather than just have someone refer them to me. Yeah. I think at some stage in the midst of, of map, whether it be map and if, if I'm invited to do map too, that somewhere in the middle of that, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do that. It's great. I don't need many of those a year to alter my income. As I said, you've been around for quite a while. Is there anything about this education that knocked you upside the head? I love learning. I've always loved it. And uh, every now and then something I come to study, it sort of knocks me upside the head for a moment and really wakes me up or alters my trajectory. Any any little moments like that here at Influence Ecology? 
it really knocks me upside the head to not move, to not immediately start working on finding those clients and closing them. Yeah. I know people that fit the demographic. I know an abundance of people that are one degree away from the demographic. It is so hard for me to wait and not just start doing it. That's so good. And an example of it, sadly, even though I have the knowledge not to move forward until I have all the pieces put together, I've still pitched a deal to four people. Yeah. Even though I know not to. It knocks me up the head like, how can I not talk about this and, and get myself in a situation where I'm presenting a transaction that I don't have fully implemented? Yeah. That's what knocks me up the head. I've got one that's on the schedule right now. Let me say something about that real quick for those who are listening and may not quite follow what you're meaning because I totally get it. So when someone constructs a transaction, sometimes there are parts of the transaction they haven't yet constructed. So for example, if I'm going to construct some kind of offer and I don't yet know how I'm going to fulfill that offer or how I might maintain it over time or how I might assess that transaction, it may be too early to launch because I simply haven't put together all of the aspects of the transaction that I'm going to trip on later. And I may find myself in a world of hurt if I haven't done that. So I think what you're pointing to is, is that you've, you're sitting here constructing the transaction. You're not quite complete with all of the, the aspects of that transaction. So you're being a little cautious, but at the same time, you're ready to get going. And in fact, are a little bit. Is that what you're saying? Is that a good way to say it all? It's exactly. I know better than to do it, but I've done it for so long that it's hard for me to stop myself. Yeah. This education is probably the only education out there that would even get what I'm talking about. Right, because for the most part, people are taught to go for it. And come on, if you yes. can dream it, begin it and do it and all of that. Yeah. You, you can do it. What about risk? Don't worry about that risk. You can't have reward without risk. Right. Just like you say, go for it. Yes, exactly. Well, I think that's a great place for us to start to wrap this up because the naivete of go for it, you could do it, come on, what are you waiting for, life's today. While there's some value to that, I certainly find sometimes getting myself out on the jogging trail Sometimes that's a useful thing to remember, to go for it, to get up, to, to move. But in terms of transactions, that may cost me tens of thousands or perhaps millions of dollars if they go awry. It certainly serves me to think accurately about those and to plan accordingly. Right. It's very good. All right. Well, the last thing I want to ask you, because I give everybody an opportunity, is, is if you have any soapbox moments. You know, there are oftentimes for people something that sort of gets their goat something they tend to, to be quite passionate about. And they've addressed something here about that, or they've learned something here about that, or there's something we teach that's relevant. Any soapbox moments that you have that you want to say? I'll tell you what gets me up every morning. Most small business people are successful for most of their lives. If they're self-employed, they're fairly ambitious. The sad part about it is, I can't count the number of people that I've seen that wind up 65 or 70 years old and they've had a great career, their entire career, 
and they take one big hit and they're done and they're broke and they're mm. 65 or 70 and they have no way to recover. So with these small business people, my goal is for them to build wealth outside that business, to look at them globally, not not just the business, that that business is not only for them to build wealth from, not pour money back into. Yes. I want to make sure that they're secure outside the business while I'm helping them take care of their business. Well said. All right. Well, Johnny Washington, it's been a pleasure having you today on the Influence Ecology podcast. Always a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. You are welcome. As I said, this episode's Guru Talk is an excerpt from a webinar titled Accurate Thinking, where co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and I address why we must think accurately about some of our most essential conditions of life and how easy it is to get caught up in the busy, noisy deluge of information peddled in the marketplace. We want to talk a little bit about why we must think accurately. Quote from Napoleon Hill, I do not believe that I can afford to deceive others. I know that I cannot afford to deceive myself. I place that there because I, it's my experience with working with lots and lots of people and observing the, the general marketplace that people tend to lie to themselves. That's the best way to say it. You know, we've, we've heard statements throughout our lives like, yeah, you know, I think I was lying to myself about what I thought I would take or really dealing with what I needed or gosh, I wasn't really willing to confront what, it, what kind of work it was going to take or how much money it would cost me or, and, and those kinds of things. But that's just simply the state of being human. We oftentimes do, in fact, deceive ourselves. And we would recommend you not. And in fact, we would recommend that you think accurately about the satisfaction of some of your most important aims in life. Because those aims in life, those aims for most of us, arise as conditions to satisfy. like specific situations that we must tend to or take care of. So I want to introduce you to what we call a condition of life, which is just simply that. It's it's a condition. It's an unavoidable or inescapable situation that you will need to tend to in order to live a happy life. And you can't ignore it, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist. And in fact, it's our experience that when people don't tend to certain conditions of life, it produces some hardship. These are the conditions of life on a particular diagram. Now, I'm not going to spend any time on all of them, but generally speaking, there are conditions of life to satisfy. There's some hierarchy to them here. We're going to focus just briefly on health, work, career, and money because for most people, it's our experience that when you do take care of your health and your health is good, it provides a foundation for the satisfaction of everything else. And when your health is threatened, then it does, in fact, impact the satisfaction of everything else. So how do I think accurately about the health required to satisfy my aims in any condition of life? That might be a question to ask. My good friend Kirkland 
Hipples once asked me the question, hey, how's your money? And I found out very quickly I wasn't thinking accurately about that about a decade ago. So we would ask, how's it going with these things, your money, your work, your career, and your health? How's it going? Are you satisfied? Are you thinking accurately about those? Do you know if you're thinking accurately about those? Now, before we get into what is accurate thinking, Kirkland, I just want to find out from you your experience of what most people are dealing with. And in, first of all, just satisfying these conditions, what are they struggling with and, and what are they dealing with about the, the satisfaction of these? Well, I think most people tend to hold a kind of hopeful sense about conditions of life. The, for those of us who spend a lot of time in, in the distinctions and work uh, deliberately on conditions of life, we, we tend to focus in, in very specific areas. But most people, John, like our, I'd say our engagement, our transaction, our interaction when you and I first got back together before we started this enterprise, when I asked you about your money, the story goes that most people tend to put on a pretty good face about it. And if they if they thought much about it at all, it's it's usually because they are facing some kind of breakdown in the area. Like your health, you know, people people tend to be okay with their health until something starts to hurt or until they find out they've got an emergency, they've got something that they've got to deal with. Some people don't even recognize conditions of life, John like career. I'm spending some time now doing some keynote presentations and speeches around the country and what I'm addressing specifically is is career. Most people tend to relate to their career like the work they do or how they make their money and career is something altogether different. Career has something to do with identity. Career has a whole lot to do with the kind of help that you offer, the value that you are in very specific ecologies, but most people don't know that. Most people tend to ride on the surface of their thinking and they they tend not to stop. And quite frankly, the kind of environment we exist in right now is so busy. It's so overwhelming. It is so noisy that it's just difficult sometimes to want to stop, to be compelled enough to stop unless there is an emergency. And think about things like, how's your money? How's your work life? Are you doing the things that you that satisfy you most when you are using your brain and your body to conduct the business of your life? Are you happy with the kind of identity that you're producing in the areas of your life that are important with the groups of people that you must in order to satisfy other conditions of life? So John, I find that for the most part, most people kind of ride along the surface until the environment, something in the environment like a fire or something in their home body like that pain or some emergency shows up around money. And then it's almost too late. It's almost too late. So, John, that's how I would answer that question, that most people tend to kind of, you know, do the best they can and manage by crisis rather than looking to build surplus in some of these areas, which is what we teach. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcast. If you haven't yet offered a rating review, 
I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps much more than you know. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. My special thanks to Johnny Washington. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with him and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the globe. This episode was produced by Jason Kelly, who also serves as editor and music supervisor. Also to acknowledge for this episode are Tyson Crandall and Carol Gregory.